Do you have big dreams? Do you know what you want, have a clear vision, and are even doing the thing, but for some reason you just don't feel like you can fully get there, or you're scared that you won't? Today's guest is a successful content creator who is doing so many amazing things on the internet, but she's had some setbacks too, just like anyone pursuing a creative career. So she's going to share how she learned to look at setbacks as a reset and how to find peace when you're in between where you started and where you want to be. She's also going to share how you can do the same because it's a skill every creative needs on their journey. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, and multi-passionate creative. And this show is meant to give you tools to love, trust, and know yourself enough to claim your right to creativity and pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. Today's guest is Irene Walton. She's a food-based content creator and influencer. She has a following of over 70,000 on Instagram, over 90,000 on YouTube, and is known for hosting her popular podcast, Bites of History with Irene Walton. Irene is someone who has turned her pain into purpose. When she was just a teenager, she lost her dad, who was one of her biggest supporters and inspirations in life. One of the things that her and her dad loved to do together most was cook and enjoy food. So now she has a cooking show on YouTube called Dead Dad's Kitchen, where she makes recipes she learned from her dad and shares her love of cooking and her love for her father. It's brilliant, dark, hilarious, and beautiful, just like all of life. From today's chat, you'll learn how to build the courage to go after your dreams, how to move past perfectionism, how to deal with the space between what you want and where you are, cultivate self-love, release fear, and so much more. Now here she is, Irene Walton. Okay, I want to get into your full story, Irene, but first I have to know, because you're also an Italian girl like me, but you just Hell told yeah, me baby. you converted to Judaism. So I sure did. I would call this a creative approach to being Italian. Tell me <laughs> <laughs> how you made that choice. I think Judaism is such a beautiful faith. I've always been interested in it, and I'm so curious. Thank you so much. I agree. So I am born and raised in Los Angeles. In the Valley specifically. My mom is from Texas and my dad was from New York. My dad's a New York Italian Irish guy. So I grew up very family focused, very food focused, which is important to me. And there was always family dinner. And because my dad was a stay at home dad, it was a lot of pasta, a lot of Italian food. So I felt very connected to the like Italian side of my family, although we don't speak Italian. We've never been to Italy. Like it was just that the food really connected me. And then growing up in the Valley, I also had so many friends that were Jewish, like so much so that when I went to college, I sound like so stupid every time I tell this story, but I don't care. I was in like a sociology class or an anthropology class or something to that effect. And they were like, oh, and you know, like Jewish people are 0.05% of the population. And I was like, no, they're not. It's like 50% of the world. (laughs) And my professor was like, you're an idiot. And I was like, (laughs) oh, like they were just 50% of my world. Like when growing up, you were either like Jewish or Christian. And so I had so many friends and I went to so many Shabbats and so many Rosh Hashanahs and all of these wonderful experiences. My friends had bat mitzvahs and it was just really wonderful. And I then met a family who's since become like a second family to me that I like babysat for. And then I would just like go help out with parties. And then I would kind of just go over for Shabbat dinner. So they've been super influential in my life too. 
And I also just separately, I always found myself gravitating towards like Jewish guys when I was dating. Yeah. Well, I am still dating. And so I was just like, something like keeps calling me to Judaism. Like, what's the word? So I took the introduction to Judaism class at American Jewish University. Shout out AJU. If anybody is looking to learn more about Judaism, I would highly suggest them because it's the class you need to take in order to convert, which I was pretty sure I was going to convert anyway. What time frame is this? Was this like in the past couple of years? Yes. So I started the class in February of 2021 and the class ended 18 weeks later. So like four and a half, five months later. And then you continue with a sponsoring rabbi for the next like year of your life, like existing as a Jew, figuring out if that's what you actually want to do because it's a really big deal. And not like I'm this big deal, but the conversion process is a very like, you want to take it really seriously. So yeah, so I did that through AJU and that started back in February of, you know, two years ago. And I learned so much in the class that I was like, okay, definitely going to convert. Did the whole thing with the rabbi, converted back in March of last year and have been Jewish ever since. (laughs) Wow, that is so cool, Irene. So here's the thing. I feel like Italian culture and Jewish culture were always meant to intersect. I mean, we just have so many similarities. I would always say the only thing that separates us is Jesus, which is ironic since he was Jewish. And I've never understood why all Christian people don't practice Judaism with Jesus' teachings as well. Totally. Because if we're really trying to follow in the footsteps of Christ we would be Jewish and we would be celebrating Jewish holidays and understanding the Jewish faith. And so I think it's so cool that you took, you know, this culture that you were kind of always next to and enjoying parts of and then said like, wait, could this religion be something for me? And that could intersect with like my familial and cultural experiences and went after it. I think that's so beautiful that you really found your faith on your own instead of just taking what was given to you. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. And I love that you mentioned like the culture of it. Culture is so important to me because I feel I grew up with it in a certain way in my own because like the Italian culture is so similar of just like food and family and connection and like thoughtfulness. And then the faith part is its own thing, which I love too. But just the intersection of all of it is really lovely and has brought me a lot of joy. Wow. Okay. Well, that is so cool. That should give you some insight into Irene right there. Just that she is willing to go after something that feels true to her and isn't necessarily the norm and that no one was like forcing her to do that. She just wanted to do on her own. That's really cool. Talking to the listener right now, not to third person. you. No, I love it. The time that I was like started the class, I was dating a Jewish guy and he was like very against me doing the class. He was like super not supportive of it and that was tricky I think that he thought I was doing it so that I would be like see now I'm ready for us to get married and he didn't understand that I had actually been like looking into it for years before that I mean he wasn't the guy anyway so yeah we broke up (laughs) R.I.P. All right god bless him but I hope he's well this one guy friend of mine from middle school when I first met my current boyfriend Timmy who you met we met at our dear friend Sarah Frazier's birthday party last year but I was introducing him to Tim and I'm like I was in a relationship for seven years before I met Tim and then when I met Tim was like the light bulb went off and it all made sense and he's like let's not speak of the dead my friend Ben said that and I thought that was the funniest thing a a way to talk about next let's not speak of the dead 
That's really funny, dude. Oh yeah. my god, I love Timmy. How are you guys? We're doing well. We're doing really well. Yeah, like it's been pretty beautiful. I mean, of course, ups and downs because that's just. Sure. I think that that's a hard thing. We talked about it on a podcast we did together with being in a relationship with someone who you really like have the real deal with. When you first meet them, at least me, I thought like, okay, now I'm immune to all pain. Nothing will ever hit me again. I'm saved. <laughs> they won't hurt me. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you're human. How dare you? I thought you were perfect. How dare you be a person and have your own set of trauma? That was really rude. That's actually fucked up of him. <laughs> yeah, so I know. You're right. <laughs> But once we kind of got past that and started to actually see each other as real people and like know what each other's pain points were, that's when it got really beautiful because it was all like the great things in the beginning, but also looking at each other like people instead of on a pedestal. Totally. Oh, I love yeah. that. And how long have y'all been together now? A year and a half. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Timmy. That's so cute. I love it. Yeah. It's pretty fun. But okay, we're going to get into your story. I love our little intro here, learning about your faith we're and spirituality. Gabbing. We're just gabbing. <laughs> Girls who gab. Girls who gab. I love a little gab sesh. I know. Spill. I think it's really, really nice to just like trust the flow of a conversation. Sometimes I get too much into Barbara Walters mode and I'm like, tell me, what did it feel like? <laughs> you know, and I love that. I love that piece of myself, but sometimes it's totally. nice. To and you're just, great like, at it. Thank you. But it's nice to just be a person and find out insight into someone through talking the way normal people do, not Barbara Walters. Also rest in peace. But for real. Did she her. die? She did. She passed away when early this Barbara year. Barbara Walters die? Yeah, I'm so sorry to break the news to you. <laughs> Also, why am I this upset about I was never like a Barbara Walters stan, but I'll tell you why you're upset because she changed the game for women in broadcasting. And since we're both hosts and journalists, I would call you journalists. You're doing plenty of research (laughs) on your show. You're doing plenty of research. I mean, that's a big part of journalism. But she really broke the mold and allowed women to come into a space where we were never taken seriously previously. And she went through a lot of shit so that we could have the privilege to hold a mic and be the one at the helm of the conversation. Wow. Damn. Great answer. (laughs) Fuck. And she was a big part of our childhood. I don't know about your parents, but like 2020 was always in the background. Like it's why the war on drugs worked on me because she did a special on heroin. And then it became my biggest fear that someone would prick me with a heroin needle. My parents always told me that, obviously, like, you know, when you get to high school, like people are going to offer you drugs and da da. And they were like, just say no, like nobody cares. And there was all of this stuff about like peer pressure and like, you know, media and whatever. And my parents were like, that's not going to happen. If it does, obviously say no, but it's not going to. And then the first time I got offered weed, they were like, do you want some? I was like, no, thanks. They were like, all right. Yeah. (laughs) Like the least climactic thing of my life. Like no one cares that much, you know? No. (sighs) Well, okay. Speaking of your parents, I know that they have been a big part of your story and why you do what you do. So Your big thing is cooking and sharing your love of cooking and teaching people how to cook and helping them find that love, too. So tell me, what was cooking like in your house growing up? I know it's like a relatively general and a great introductory question, but it's so funny you ask because cooking was so not like, all right, Irene, like, come with dad and we're going to make dinner. It was like, fucking get the salad, Irene. Why haven't you set the tape? Like, it was very... Just so, so, so much a part of our day. I didn't realize how special it was growing up and like how much my dad was instilling within me about the love of food and about how important food is. It's not that it wasn't like 
apparent. Like we had family dinner quite literally every single night of my life, save once, twice a month. If I was at a friend's house, whatever, every single night without fail. And that's so important to me. And so many of my friends did not have that growing up. And you can tell in some ways, like that was such a big part of growing up and connecting with people and like just talking about the day over the dinner table. And sometimes it wasn't like, we're not like quizzing each other about like famous wars. Like we would have (laughs) the Simpsons on sometimes. We would just talk sometimes. So my dad was the stay-at-home dad and like the cook and he always cooked dinner, made us lunch. And my mom and I would bake a lot together. So like Mm. on the weekends, because she was the one who worked, we would have some time together. We'd make muffins and cookies and brownies and stuff like that. And so food was just a huge, huge part of my life. So- I'm so fascinated because this stay-at-home dad thing wasn't necessarily a huge... I'm assuming we're kind of generally in the same age range. Like, did you grow up in the 90s? Yeah, so I'm born 94. Okay, cool. So in the 90s, early 2000s, it wasn't necessarily a huge movement of the Mm stay-at-home dad. And in fact, like for men who did do that, there was probably a lot of judgment even on your dad and on your family for that. Like, how do you think seeing your dad in that role affected you and how was it helpful to you to like have your dad in that more nurturing role it was I mean incredible I wouldn't change it for anything I mean I know (laughs) he probably would have the reason he was a stay-at-home dad was because he was an actor and he was not a working actor unfortunately because he was very talented but he was pursuing this dream and my mom put a lot of her stuff aside so that she could support this family and so with that came a lot of like you know stress but also like the joy of getting to like spend so much time with my dad especially he's like you know this like gruff New Yorker like and he's just like this sweet sweet boy with like his little daughter and I have an older brother too but Eddie is like four years older than me so he was in school for a couple years and it was just me and my dad when I was really young like two to five or whatever when Eddie was in school and I wasn't yet and It definitely is incredibly important to just who I am base level as a person. Like I grew up crazy, crazy tomboy because I spent so much time with my dad and my brother. My dad still like he's been gone 11 years and he's still the funniest person I've ever met. Like just so much that you don't even think about growing up with your family, your parents, your siblings, your close family friends, whoever you don't realize the everyday stuff that influences you and like the things you think are funny are funny because like they've all thought it was funny forever. And so it's just like, it was really lovely to see him in such a nurturing role, even though I know it brought some undue stress and I'm sure that there was some judgment, but I honestly never really felt it. All my friends loved my dad. All my friends' families loved my dad and felt comfortable with him. And So that was really nice. There may have been. And if there was, I never really saw it. He was the best. That's so beautiful. I started this podcast because I really believe repressed creativity is the cause of a lot of the world's suffering. And I wanted to help people not have to live with unsung music in their soul, whatever their music is. That's so beautiful. Oh, thank you. That's really very wonderful. (laughs) I love you. You're awesome. I love you too. But... (laughs) Did your dad continue to pursue his dreams like as he was staying home? Like, how do you think that affected him? Because I think about that a lot. You know, we're not always in control of whether or not the thing that we want to do actually takes off, no matter how talented we are. And how do you think that affected him? And how do you think that affects you in the way you approach the world now? 
That's a great question. It was definitely really hard. And like, as I got older, I saw how much of a toll that took on him, on just like the family. I mean, nothing crazy, just like stressful. Like, you know, when you see somebody who's so talented trying to pursue their dream and it just not working, it's really hard. And he was just the picture of perseverance. Like, no matter what, he still tried to get auditions, still put himself up on casting websites, like did this all day, every day, trying Mm -hmm. so, so hard. And so I think that that's really influenced me and like, okay, well, like I can't just stop. Like if it's in me, it doesn't matter if it hasn't happened yet. Like it's going to, you just can't just stop. Unfortunately, his perseverance didn't get him to where he wanted it to. But I think it was really important to see someone try so hard for their dream. Even, you know, sometimes unfortunately at the cost of like a marital spat or financial stress or whatever. And I know that things could have gone differently, whatever, but it was definitely inspiring. And especially the further away you get from the trickier parts that you kind of forget about those and look at just the good parts, which is nice to have too. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. And I think it didn't get him exactly where he maybe intended to go, but where it did get him is like, to give you the seed of saying, okay, well, dad never gave up. So I'm never going to give up. And I'm going to exactly. always, always keep going toward my dream and what I want to do. And I'm not going to let that fight that he had be in vain. I'm going to carry that on in me. So let's talk about how it is carrying on in you because he is part of everything you do. Mm-hmm. So your dad, unfortunately, passed away, as you said, when you were 17. How do you get from, obviously, the devastation of that and the total world shaking that that brings to you to taking that pain and then turning it into purpose through the work you do now? So, yeah, it was like very, very sudden death when I was 17. I just turned 17. And yeah, world altering is definitely a nice, light way to put it. (laughs) And it was like this crazy shift That, I mean, obviously, like, would have loved if it did not happen. However, it was also when I was, like, a senior in high school. Like, it's not like now my mom has to shift to crazy town. Like, some single moms, you know, God bless them, they don't have a partner from the start. Or they lose them when the kid is two and have to... So, Eddie and I were both, like, fully formed people. We were able to kind of take care of ourselves too. And I think that we were all able to take care of each other, my mom, my brother, and I. And I think we all dealt with it in different ways. And obviously, like, I mean, you never get over grief. It simply does not stop. And that's fine. It just alters and changes. And with that, you know, it took me a couple years to like fully accept what had happened. I was starting my senior year of high school when he passed. And then I went through college kind of, I've always known what I wanted to do. I've always known I've wanted to be in entertainment and wanted, I used to want to be an actress, but then it, like when I was probably 15, 16, I wanted to be on like the Food Network cooking show host. So I went through college just knowing that. So I got like a communications degree and then I got just like some odd jobs here and there. And I was a personal assistant for a content creator. And that kind of showed me like, oh, you don't have to wait around for an opportunity. You can sort of make your own in a sense. And with that, I was like, well, the opportunity I've always wanted is to be in food entertainment. And how can I do that? And I was like, well, I'll do a YouTube channel. And I had a lot of really wonderful and inspiring men and women, just like a ton of people in my life be so supportive and so helpful in pushing me to do that. But I was like, well, what's it going to be? It's going to be food, but what? 
And since my dad was this huge, huge influence on my life, period, but especially the lens that I knew food through, rather, I was like, well, it's got to be dedicated to him. And he was so funny. So (laughs) what can I do to try to like combine the two? So I came up with the name Dead Dad's Kitchen. So good. Thank you. Oh, it's very divisive. Some people really do not like it. Oh, I think it's brilliant. So I don't know if you know this, but I do creative coaching and podcast oh coaching. Oh my gosh, I did not. That's and amazing. Whenever someone's trying to figure out what they want to do, what they want to say, what the topic of their show is going to be, I always tell them what in your life has been your greatest joy and what in your life has been your greatest pain. And the answer is somewhere in between those. So you did exactly that. That's brilliant. Oh my God. I didn't know I did that, but great. Yeah. And so... I was like, I think he would have gotten a kick out of it. Also, like, the kitchen was always the place that we all, I mean, I think not specific to our family or me, but I think that's the place everybody just kind of congregates. And I was like, I want to have a fun, easy approach to cooking. So many people are afraid of cooking. And my dad was this, like, unbelievably warm and inviting energy in a very, like, fun kind of jokey way, like, punchy sort of way. And so I was like, let's fucking do that. <laughs> let's, do, let's do that. And so I did. So then Dad's Kitchen started and I had a lot of really wonderful support right up at the beginning, pushing people to my channel. And through that, I've grown a really, you know, it's not these like crazy numbers, five million people following, but I've got a fan base I'm really, really appreciative of. And I've got people who fucking can learn how to make some chicken cutlets like I, that's oh, yeah. great that's all I want <laughs> oh my gosh I just learned how to make a Caesar salad and you have so many great how-tos so okay I'm always curious how someone starts besides keeping on going starting is the hardest thing right <laughs> yeah so putting that first video up is so difficult because there's all these expectations in your head oh my gosh what's going to happen will people like it how will they react to me what if nobody watches all these things you're thinking through before you even can go through and press upload and send into the ether. How did you get the courage to finally do it after wanting this for so long? I am like not a perfectionist in any way. Oh, that's great. So once I, yeah, once I knew that I wanted to, I was like, great, I just need to put up the video. Like there wasn't fear in putting the video up and there wasn't really honestly that much fear in starting. Like aside from the one decision of like, okay, I'm going to, that I really did need to be kind of pushed towards because people were like, well, why aren't you doing it? I was like, I don't have a camera. I don't have this. I don't, don't, don't. So I was definitely kind of excusey at the beginning because I think I was just trepidatious of how much work it was going to be, which it is, but it's definitely worth it. But yeah, once I was like, oh, okay, I'm doing it. Like, I'm so unbelievably sure of myself that I was like, okay, done. <laughs> so once I bought a camera, I was like, okay, cool. So for somebody listening right now who doesn't have that confidence and who also like, I love that you don't struggle with perfectionism. My first question is, how do you not struggle with perfectionism? Like what goes through your head that makes you just be like, hell yeah. And my second question is how to build confidence. Oh my gosh, those are great (laughs) questions. I feel so good about those two questions because I feel like I'm sort of good at them. That's amazing. For the perfectionist, like how I decide that something's ready is because like nothing's ever going to be perfect. My makeup's not perfect. The world's not perfect. The weather's not perfect. My room's not perfect. Like, what a silly, silly thing to try to be like, <laughs> is it ready yet? Like, it, yeah. I mean, I like things to look good. I think it's important to, like, put my best foot forward. But there's just a certain point where I'm, like, editing a video where I'm like, 
is the extra four hours that it's going to take me to go in and color correct this one thing that I messed up, is that going to be worth it? No, Mm. because then it's keeping my content and my creativity and it's holding me back at that point. Because I also try to look at it through a lens of like, what do I notice as a consumer of content, as a consumer of media, as a consumer of any good or service? Nothing is perfect, but do I ever notice that? Am I ever watching The Sopranos and I'm like, actually that shot could have been done. No, get the fuck out of here. No, absolutely not. So like, why am I putting that on myself? That just seems like a fucking waste of time. I don't want this to come off as like, I don't take pride in my work. I don't take pride in what I do. But I just think that there's a certain point where you have to ask yourself, like, am I doing this because I think it's going to make it better? Or am I doing this because I think it's going to make like me better? Ooh, (laughs) that's good. No, I love what you're saying right now, because... I think that that's a question we don't ask ourselves enough. Like one thing I do that I'm really trying to rid myself of is like try to think of everything mean somebody could say before I post anything so that I'm at least like prepared for it. And then I can take care of anything that they might say that's mean and then I'll post it. Do you not really get that many mean things that people say? No, not at all. People are generally so nice. See, it's like a waste of your time. And I'm not saying that to be like condescending of like, that's a waste of your... No, I I don't think it's condescending. It's true. It's like uh, most of the time the thing... And this is coming from me. I have crippling OCD. But like most of the time, the things we worry about don't even happen. I don't know if you feel this way, but I have heard every mean thing about me. Your nose is weird. Your chin is bad. You're kind of... Okay. I've already heard it. Somebody already thinks I'm annoying. Add them to the tally. Like, who gives a fuck? I am. Have you always felt that way with trollish comments? Like, how did you get to that place where you're like, okay, whatever. Like Sarah says, my favorite thing that she ever said of my podcast when she came on, and she said people were calling the radio station she was working at, Sarah Fraser, our friend, were calling the radio station she worked at when she was saying the wrong thing on air. And they're like, how dare you? You're so stupid. She hung up the phone and goes, I'm resonating. <laughs> Dude, Sarah's a fucking icon. I she love really Sarah. is. And she's a huge inspiration. I think that's part of it. And I also grew up like I was not bullied, but people made fun of me and stuff. Like I'm loud. I'm obnoxious. I ask for attention. So a lot of times I get positive and a lot of times I get negative. So like growing up, I heard it too. So like the people in my life who have kind of taught me how to accept those comments have just helped me with the foundation I already had of like, okay, you think I'm ugly. Good for you. What else? Like, great. I sound like a guy. Awesome. Like, what the fuck do you want me to say? (laughs) And that's also the thing. Like, my parents always told me, like, if you don't give them the power, they don't have it. So it's like, okay, I'm ugly. Do you want that to hurt me? Like, well, all right. (laughs) Right. And I think the point is, if you don't think something about yourself, it can't hurt you. Like, when, when I was younger, my friend's mom came up to I hate where this is going. <laughs> came I up to hate me. where this is this going. Is, it was at her baby shower. My friends back in Michigan had babies much younger. So she was probably like 26. So we were all like around 26 at this time. Came up to me and she was like, you know what? You've got a nice big nose. All good singers have nice big noses. And that's why, like Barbara Streisand, you've got a nice big nose. <laughs> and I was like, Okay, I'm like, thanks for the feedback. Like, I like my nose. So what she said to me couldn't hurt me because I don't have an issue with my nose. There's some things where I'm insecure about them and it could hurt me. But like, if you actually, so this goes to the next question, have like a foundation of confidence or self-love about something, whatever somebody says about that thing, if you disagree with it, it's not going to hurt you because you know it's not true. 
Exactly. I saw a really cool TikTok about this a couple weeks ago. It was somebody being like, how would you feel if somebody came up to you and said, your hair is blue? You'd be like, it's so clearly not. What? (laughs) That's how you should take criticism. It's like, if I'm not accepting this, like you're just blathering into the ether. Like it's not important. Right. And this isn't to say like, I don't have comments that affect me. Like, yeah, of course, every once in a while I get a comment and I'm like, but it's because it's something I was already insecure about or it's something that I was like already anxious about or nervous for. But yeah, most of the time when it's something I like about myself, if they're like, you're ugly, I'm like, I'm not. I'm literally so pretty. (laughs) It's true. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) And so, yeah, it's exactly what you're saying. It can hurt you if it's like not something that hurts you. (laughs) Right. It's so true. And I think when those comments do sting us, it's a call to us for to be like, okay, this stung me. Why? How can Mm -hmm. I build up some self-love in this area? Because clearly it's something where I'm vulnerable. And so I'd like to find a way to have a platform of self-love so that when somebody wields something at me, I'm like, okay, cool. Bye-bye. What's your favorite thing about yourself? Hmm. Like physically or like in general? I love my heart. Honestly, I love how much I love people. I love how much I believe in people. I love how much I love life. Even though I can get depressed and anxious sometimes, like, the heartbeat of my life is joyful. And I think that's really beautiful. Like one thing I realized about myself lately is I don't like being around people who can find something wrong with everything. It really makes me sad. And I feel myself having to get defensive and get into that mind frame. I just, I love people and I love life. And I love that about myself. You have a beautiful energy. It's very, very warm and open and wonderful and happy. Thank you. You're welcome. And physically. Your big old nose. I love my big nose. No, I do really like my nose. You have a great nose. Thank you. I I like it. But I think I like my eyes because they tell a story. Like, it's hard for me to hide something. Yeah. And I I do. Like, even though when I was younger, I probably wanted blue eyes because that was, like, cool and beautiful. (laughs) I really like how deep my eyes are and what a story they tell. They're very pretty. Thank you. Tell me yours now. It's tied. I have two. I like my disposition. I feel this similarly in that like, I really like to be positive. I really like to find the beauty and the joy in things. And um, I love my sense of humor because that's like directly from my family Mm -hmm. that I really connect to. And then physically, I like my eyes too. I also, if I'm being honest... I love my boobs. I got oh, great yes. boobs. Oh, yes. Boobs. I totally <laughs> forgot about boobs. Yeah, I love my boobs, too. Oh, I'm so happy I have boobs. Oh, oh God bless. What a relief. They're so fun. They're so fun. They're so, like, artistically beautiful. They're yeah. Fun. Well, I don't know about your house, but, like, growing up, it, it's interesting because my mom would not be afraid to say the F word, was, like, very irreverent oh, with the way yeah. she spoke. But I would come downstairs wearing what I thought was a really cute outfit, and she'd be like, you're wearing that? Because it was, like, too sexy in her estimation. Yeah. My mom would, would often call me a prostitute. There you go. And I was like, Mom, <laughs> it's sex worker. Thank you. Thank you. And it's a respectable <laughs> profession. One of the oldest, yes. in fact. The oldest. (laughs) So I've just recently, like literally since the pandemic, been pushing these puppies out there. I finally got over. I got over the feeling like I needed to wear a turtleneck everywhere I went. And it feels so good to let these girls breathe. Let them out. (laughs) The world wants to see them. I'll tell you that much. Plenty of people pay plenty of money to get what we have. So we might as well enjoy what we got for free. Exactly right. And let's show them. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to take off my shirt. No, I'm kidding. 
<laughs> okay. So I love that. Tell me about the confidence piece though. Like where do you build confidence from and what's your advice to somebody who's struggling with confidence right now? So I am a very strong believer in a couple of things. <laughs> so my confidence, I believe is twofold. I have never, and this probably sounds like I'm full of myself, which I am. So I hope it comes off that way. I have never once in my entire life been self-conscious of who I am as a person on the inside. I've mm. always known that I am a good, kind, fun, lovable person and like deserve good things. That's always been a thing. The other side though, I had horrible body image issues. I thought I was ugly. I thought I was just like so against the beauty standard. Like I know that that can come across as not recognizing my privilege, but just in my own existence in my own solitary like 11 year old bubble I was like I am ugly I am too big I am too this I am too that I am not enough this I am not enough that and part of that was because my best friends growing up they were all like five foot nothing weighing 98 pounds soaking wet and I've always been like I was five seven and like 150 160 like just a bigger person and so comparatively you know when you see like the Shaq and Kevin Hart next to each other and you're yeah. like, this is crazy. That's how I felt. I was like, I am this big ogre. And the like that Taylor Swift lyric where it's like, everybody is a sexy baby and yeah. I'm the monster on the hill, which is an odd choice of words, but I resonated. Sarah Fraser style. <laughs> so I just felt so big and so gross. And I like went through my eating disorder shit. Like I think very unfortunately, many yeah. women do. And then one day, I swear to God, I <laughs> I was like, this is literally so annoying of me. I need to stop that. I am hot now. I am not suggesting that if you have an eating disorder, you should not get help. You should absolutely seek help. I did not because I also did not recognize it was an eating disorder at that point. But I was like, how fucking annoying of me to always be asking what the calories are, asking if they cannot use oil in the pan at a restaurant. Shut the fuck up, you stupid bitch. Order the food. <laughs> Stop being annoying. And part of it is thinking about all the things you do have. Like, I can walk and breathe and talk and live on my own. That is, like, such a gift and such a blessing to have. And I'm fucking talking shit about the way my legs look. Get over yourself, you stupid idiot. Fuck you. There are people who would kill, like, literally kill to, like, have functioning legs that worked. And you're like, I don't like the way my calf is. Stupid. Yeah. And this is just for me. This is a silly way. This is like not the best self-talk either, but. Yeah, but if it got you there, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can get better self-talk once you're mentally healthy. I also struggled with an eating disorder. I've been very open about it on the show. I had bulimia when I was little. Also didn't know it was bulimia. I thought it was just this thing I did. I was like, I'm being crazy. <laughs> I'm like, I thought it was a great scam. I'm like, I get to eat the food and then just throw it up. Cool. Yeah. So that's how I felt as a child, which obviously is very unhealthy. And then I also like had extreme restrictive eating. But the thing that saved me was music. I found out Karen Carpenter died from anorexia and bulimia and that she ruined her voice. My dad like offhandedly said that to me. Like they didn't know that I had this going on. Uh, I did it in secret as many of us do. And once he told me that, I never made myself throw up again. And I restricted eating for a while. I like did tons of yo-yo diets, but eventually got over that. Good but I think you. whatever works to get you through 
And I love that you realize it was just a waste of time. Like, I do think our culture keeps us, especially women, so wrapped up in how we look. So we don't have time to make the actual changes we would need to get the equality we deserve. So I think realizing it's a waste of time actually is a quite effective way to build confidence. I am such a strong proponent of just like fake it till you make it. And 100%, like if you're just not feeling great one day, feel how you feel. But if you find yourself just in this like consistent cycle of like, I shouldn't go to this party. I don't know. Just say, yeah, I should. I belong there. That's the thing. Our brains are not that smart when it comes to things like that. Like if you tell yourself something enough times, your brain just starts to believe it. Like, have you ever had like a memory where somebody's just said it so many times? You're like, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. No, you didn't. You weren't there. That's where my confidence comes from. I think it obviously has to start from the inside out. But Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the outside stuff's really easy to just like switch your perspective on. Totally. So I know at one point you were attached to another person, brand, and kind of known for that, like versus your own thing. And then you went into your own thing. I really relate to you because... And I'm so grateful for this, but I produced a lot of big podcasts. And sometimes I feel like, do people want me because they want me or do they want me because I'm like attached to these other big entities? And like, I'm proud of that, but I want to be known for my own thing. So I'm almost looking for advice here. And for anyone else who's kind of feeling similar, like maybe they've been known for doing one thing and they're trying to go and off and do another. How do you go about building your own brand when you're well known for being attached to another person or another thing that isn't really yours? Something I, th- I like think about a lot and have worked on a lot because, yeah, it can be tricky when somebody only associates you with another person or brand or company or thing that you do. Like you are so multifaceted. It sounds like you do music and you do podcasting and you do so many creative things. Like I'm sure somebody who's only ever been known for like painting, if they were like, I'm going to sing, everyone's like, what are you talking about? Right. And I find that if people don't like you for you and they only like you for a certain attachment, then you don't want them around anyway, which I think is a platitude and a cliche. However, I think it exists for a reason because like, I don't want somebody around me who only likes me for another person or another thing that I've done. It just seems shitty and like gross. And the people that I've been associated with, I really am very grateful for our time together and for the things that I've learned from them. But You know that saying, my mom always says this, of like, sometimes people are around for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. Yes. And I think it's like, there are seasons, which I I know is like such a, some people hate and think it's so cringy to say like seasons of your life. But I, I think it's important. And I think like getting these seasons of your life with people that teach you something or are there for some really big lesson it's super important. And then you just have to like take what you have and what you know about yourself and what you bring to the table and really just like put that on the table be like, Mm -hmm. here's all the stuff I am. And if you don't want to be around that anymore, because this other person's not here, this brand's not associated with me anymore. Okay. Like that's fine. Yeah. I think that's great advice. So you have recently been really honest on your YouTube about how you've been going through a bit of like a huh moment in life (laughs) a bad season a winter of life a tough season (laughs) I mean listen like my sweet podcast listeners last year heard me go through this on air like every other episode I was crying being like what's the point of anything and of course you're so grateful for the people that are showing up for you 
But when there's a space between where you are and where you want to be, it can feel devastating because you know what you're capable of. You do have the confidence. You do have the optimism. And you do have the love. And you're like, why isn't it working? I feel like all the ingredients are there. Why aren't these cookies of life turning out? (laughs) There she is. (laughs) Tell me about what you've been going through and where you're at with it right now. I've just been very frustrated with the saturation of the industry that I'm in. And that's not to say that there aren't these incredible, phenomenally talented people in it. It's just like, it feels like people that have started after me are getting opportunities way ahead of me. And people are just doing these incredible things that I can't stress enough how truly happy I am for them and how well-deserved it is. But part of me, it does feel like, well, when's it going to be my turn? And that just gets really frustrating. And I am hugely in favor of another thing that Sarah says, which is rising tides lift all ships. So like when things are good, it can be good for everybody. It's not like one person's success is your demise. So it is truly just a me thing where I am frustrated with myself within the industry because I just I want to show I want to host big Netflix things I want to be at these fun parties I want to be doing these incredible things and I'm just not there yet and I feel like I've gotten close at certain points which can almost make it harder because you're like okay so I know it can happen why hasn't it yet and it's just been really frustrating it's just been hard and Like you said, I cannot stress enough and I try so hard in my videos to make it clear like how appreciative I am for those that are there and those that are watching and have watched or even if they've just tuned into this one, like that's amazing. But it can just, it can get really tiring and really hard and it's just been a tricky time and I have just had to do a lot of self-work of like, I'm not a failure because I don't have X, Y, and Z yet. I'm not a failure because... I'm an artist who has to wait tables again. Like, I'm not a failure for any of these things. This is just going to be what gets me to the next level. Like, maybe I'm going to meet fucking Mr. Food Network at the place I'm waitressing. Like, great. Right. And I'm at peace with it now, but it's taken me months to get there. So I want that to be abundantly clear. Oh, my gosh. Well, that was my whole last year of life was trying to figure out, okay, How can I have big dreams and not put my self-worth in whether or not they come true? Exactly. You put it a million times better than I could have just now. (laughs) No, you said the same thing. So a couple of things helped me. So like I wanted to share some perspectives on this and see if they resonate. The first thing I thought about was like, okay, if everyone who follows me or watches a video or listens to my podcast was standing in a room listening to me talk, how would I feel? Yeah. That's That's a crazy thought. Think of yourself standing in front. Like you've got like what? 90 something thousand followers on. On YouTube. On YouTube. Think about standing in front of a stadium of (laughs) 90,000 people holding court, cooking. That's how many people across the world care about you and what you have to say. That's incredible. So like thinking from that perspective, not just like the statistics we've been taught to care about, but what is the total picture? I started doing that. And then this person came on one of the podcasts I produce. I can never remember her last name. Her name, first name's Kristen, but she's a soccer player. And Glennon, the host, like asked her, what do you think? Like, do you think you should have big goals and dreams? Do you think that's actually healthy? And she was expecting her to say like, no, I don't think so. But what she said was, yes, actually like having big dreams is really important. And it's for sure something I'd want to instill in my own children someday because 
The dreams are what takes you on the journey, but they're not the journey. So you, like who you are inside, that's what matters. This is something I say. She didn't say this, but who you are is the best thing about you. And the dreams are just what's taking you on the journey, but they're not who you are. Mm-hmm. Whether or not they ever come to light, it really doesn't matter. It's just about going on the journey with them. That's huge. I love that. I've never thought about that. Yeah. The other thing is we just don't know. Like my friend Mitra once said, when we think about regret, we're assuming that if we had done a certain thing, the best possible outcome would have happened. But we don't know. Let's say like you got some Food Network show and then you were on it and you were miserable. You don't know what could happen. Maybe it just wasn't the right timing. And this is giving you a little bit more time. So when you come to the dream, you're coming to it from a healthy place. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that there's a lot of reasons. It doesn't take away how hard it is and how brutal it is, (laughs) how much it can make you feel like shit when you see somebody else like pop off on TikTok. And you're like, my one friend said, it seems so easy to go viral on TikTok. Is it almost a flex if you haven't? (laughs) (laughs) Well, then I'm crushing it. I, I am too. But I'm like, you know, I think that there's so many reasons, but it's still very difficult and messy. It's so messy inside. I heard something on TikTok recently that I'm not sure where it's from, but I know it's like an ancient proverb of sorts yeah. where it says, let go or be dragged. Ooh. And I feel like, yeah. Bitch, Ouch. And I feel like that's sort of how I'm coming to my dreams. And what you said is so poignant of just like, I need to come to it from a healthy place. I'm not going to have the dream that I want coming from a place of like, I need this and I didn't do it before this other person did. It's only going to happen when I like let go, let it happen and come to it from like joy and excitement and can fully enjoy it. The journey is so crucial. I love the way you put that. Thank you. But I mean, I love the journey you're on and that you're having this. I mean, you're younger than me, so you're going through this at a earlier stage, which is so healthy. Like it took me till 33 to be like, okay, I can't keep doing it the same way. You know, mm-hmm. like it's, it's hurting me. So I think it's beautiful that you're getting that when you're still, you know, in the early parts of your journey. Like that's incredible. How are you finding ways to reignite the joy and not always be thinking of the outcome? How are you staying with joy right now? Oh, I love that question. Wouldn't it be funny if somebody on a podcast was like, that's a fucking terrible question. Next yeah. Time. I'm sure some people have. (laughs) That's a great one. All of your questions have been great. Oh, thank you. I'm finding the joy now. I'm actually really fucking excited to start waiting tables again. I love waiting tables. My dad always used to tell me, he was like, everybody's got to wait tables for two weeks. Everybody. And you're going to fucking hate it. And so I started waiting tables when I was like 18, 19. And I loved it. I was like, my dad's crazy. And I love it. I'm really excited again, especially because like what I do is very isolating and is pretty lonesome at times. So it's like cool that I'm going to like be around coworkers and see new people every day and get to bring them joy and then like clock out and then focus on my own shit. And I think that I need a break in my routine. And I think that that's going to be the perfect one. So I'm really looking forward to that. I've also just been like cooking for fun again, which has been really nice. I've talked about this with a lot of my wonderful like food content creator friends. I have a friend named Emily, Food Lover's Diary. She actually hosts the Friends of Anthony Bourdain podcast, which is great. Wow. And she and I both just kind of share sometimes like, I don't think I've cooked for me without recording it and using it for content in eight months. It brings me joy to like be making bread again just for me, to be making cookies just to give out. I've been really liking that. How about you? What's your joy been? 
I'm still trying to find it. I mean, I think just writing more music has been really important. You know, getting back to the excitement I felt when I was 22 and first realized I was a songwriter. And, oh, my God, I can't believe this song's coming out of me. Like, I thought that my whole life I would just have to sing other people's songs. So getting back to that joy and gratitude and, like, I really am right now trying, for the music part of things, trying to make music just for me, like because I want to leave an imprint on the world that has to do with like what my creative soul felt and thought. So I'm trying that. It's hard because I still want it to get millions of streams on Spotify. It's that hilarious thing of like, I truly put this video up because I love that so many people wanted to learn how to make a Caesar salad. But a tiny little itsy bitsy voice is like, wouldn't it be cool if it got a million views? And I'm like, it would. It would. (laughs) But also we don't know when things are going to take off. Like I think about Kate Bush and her song, Running Up That Hill, going like platinum, what, 20, 30 years later? Like we just don't know. Maybe for whatever reason, like the timing isn't now. And that's brutal, especially I'm sure for you, like when you've been through a loss like you have with your dad, like you're probably feeling the added pressure of, I know life is short. I know I want to make an impact. That's a trauma, I'm sure, that you carry with you even when you're doing something like putting out a video, like one single video. You're feeling that. But we know so little. It's hard to be pessimistic, really. Yeah, truly. <laughs> it's also just like not nearly as fun. Yeah. It's yeah. so fucking dumb. It's that's like when people are like, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in love. I don't believe. It's like, how the fuck do you know? <laughs> you don't know shit all. So why not like have the cool option? Right. If it doesn't work for you, fine, but don't rain on someone else's parade, you know? Exactly, yeah. I'm totally with you. But I'm trying to get back because, like, me as a three-year-old loved singing. I'm trying to just, like, do it for her and not try to be perfect, but just try to be joyful. Okay, so we have to hit your podcast before we wrap up because your podcast is so great. I love that you smash food and history together because they really intersect in such a beautiful and powerful way and have changed our culture in such a beautiful and powerful way. Why did you decide you wanted to tell the history of food? And tell me the name of your podcast, like the inception, anything you want to talk about in regard to your pod. So the name is Bites of History, which I thought was cute. And I have always just like, I remember vividly watching Mr. Rogers with my dad, which the, oh my God, any Mr. Rogers thing, bawling, cry my eyes out, like literally just seeing him. But God forbid you put on the fucking like theme music. Oh, you're like, I have a surprise. Let me cue it up now. Yeah. (laughs) I remember watching like how crayons are made, how muffins get made, like all of these just like little like one minute little documentary bits in these kid shows that I would watch my dad. I always loved that. He always really resonated with it. My mom loves history. Her family loves history. And we all love food. And I always really loved the show Unwrapped with Mark Summers. Mm. Yes, Mark Summers. Shout out. Shout out, Marky. That's my like dream job was Mark Summers' job. He was very fun, very sweet, great, charismatic host. But I was like, I want it to be more accessible. And I'm so interested in it. So there must be other people interested in food history. It's one of those things that we just look at and see and associate with all the time, constantly, constantly. And a lot of the times we don't know where it's from. Like, you have a bite of a Snickers bar and you don't know that that is named after like Frank Mars' favorite horse. Like it's just like a fun, oh. cute little thing. Or the reason that a Hershey's kiss is called a kiss is because when the chocolate plops down on the foil, it makes a kiss oh, sound. That's so sweet. Yeah. And a lot of the times, like 
so many people hate this, but I don't give a fuck. I love small talk. I think it's a really incredible tool. I think it's so fun. I think that's how you get to know people. And I think food is a universal thing. Everybody eats. Everybody eats yeah. no matter what. And I think if you have like little facts, little bits that you can share with people around you, I think that's like an immediate connector. And so I was like, I could do that. I'm going to do that. So I did. <laughs> What's your favorite story you've told so far? Oh, that's so good. I think that the story of Trader Joe's is really interesting. Also, just because that's such a part of my everyday life. I'm really proud of the aphrodisiac episode that I did, actually, which is like a little out of my comfort zone. It's just like a little more blue than I normally go. I wasn't like naked on camera, but <laughs> but it was just like not something I normally talk about. That one was really interesting. A big part of it is like I love learning so much that I was like, this is equally, if not more for me to like sit down and learn some stuff at least once a week and be like, oh, I can share this and make it accessible and make it fun. So yeah, I think those are great. The Starbucks story is really interesting. World's Fair is fascinating. Yeah, I need to listen to that one. Bitch, the 1893 <laughs> World's Fair, fucking everything we've ever cared about comes from there. It's crazy. Yeah, that was wild because I listened to your one on popcorn and I listened to the bacon one. Oh, yeah. So you mentioned the World's Fair and how almost everything came from that. And then World War II, did you say? Oh, yeah. World War II was a hugely, hugely pivotal moment for food because we were just understanding how like prepackaged food works because we had to because of rations. Oh, the Chef Boyardee story is super interesting, too. He like provided World War II with like... I think it ended up being like 10 million cans of food for like the soldiers. It's crazy, crazy. Have stuff. you done popsicles yet? No, but I have this segment called Crumbs of History where I do just little bits of it. But yes, the popsicle one with the guy who left out oh his little God. thing. So freaking Okay, cute. like I did a whole episode about how nothing is more valuable than a good idea because yeah. that story actually like makes me cry because it was this one guy's idea and then this big corporation came in and basically like stole it. But that one's fascinating. And I think it goes to what we're talking about, too, with the time we're in and trying to figure this out. If you had a patron or you had somebody behind you, like, bolstering the stuff you're doing, everything would be different because your ideas are supreme. But it's like when you're just one little engine that could, it's so difficult to push that out into the world forcefully. And so just keep going because your ideas are really powerful and they're really good and they're really joyful and they're based in something that is so beautiful, which is your connection with your dad and your family. And yeah, I mean, there's one question I typically ask people and I want to ask it to you. It could be a little emotional, but if you don't feel like <laughs> How'd your dad it, it's totally fine. <laughs> How did your dad die? No, what I was going to say was like, if you could go back, you know, if you and that 17 year old version of yourself were standing in the same room looking at each other, what do you think she would say to you today and why? Oh, that is emotional. I think she would just think I was so cool. Mm. <laughs> and I think she would say, like, watch out for that one girl. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, no, I would say that to her. Never mind. <laughs> She'd probably talk about being scared yeah. and feeling shitty <laughs> and she would probably, because I know me, she would be like, what happens? What are we going to do? What's going on? Da, 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 da. And she would be very cautious and curious about the future. I think she would just be really impressed, which is mm -hmm. nice. <laughs> and what would you say to her and why? Oh, I would tell her to start a YouTube channel sooner, to get on TikTok as soon as it becomes popular, 
I would tell her a lot of like realistic tips. things. Tips yeah, and tricks. Because I'm like, this is important. But I would also tell her that like, you're going to be heartbroken multiple times for multiple reasons. So like, don't be afraid of it. It's going to happen no matter what. And that we are still trying and we're still doing good. And mom is great. Eddie is great. <laughs> and yeah, to just like stay joyful, stay happy, feel your feelings, but like don't forget who you are and at your core, you're a happy, fucking funny, cute person. So stick to it, you stupid yes. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are a happy, funny, cute, cool person. And I'm so Oh, grateful. you added the cool. Thank you. You are cool. <laughs> I remember when I first met you, I was like, that girl's cool. Stop. Really? Had... I thought that about you, too. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. That makes me so happy. But you had at that time. And I love also how versatile your hairstyles are. But at that time, you had this short blonde haircut. And I think you were wearing hoops. And you had this thick eyeliner on. And I don't remember people's clothes, by the way. But you were wearing this really cool. I think it was like a black shirt or like some sort of a crop top with like jeans. Oh, that sounds like me. <laughs> I was like, wow, she is so cool. Oh, my God. Thank yeah. you. So I'm grateful to know you. I'm grateful, I'm grateful to-, to know you. I'm so grateful to you for having me on. This is such a wonderful podcast. I think you're doing such a beautiful thing and putting so much like joy and light into the world. And I'm really grateful to be a part of it. Mm. Well, it's likewise. And thank you for also being a joyful person and sharing your joy and your vulnerability Anytime. with the world. Anytime. Thank you for listening and thanks to my guest, Irene Walton. For more info on Irene, follow her at Homemade by Irene on Instagram and TikTok and check out her podcast, Bites of History, wherever you get your podcasts. Also subscribe to her YouTube at Irene Walton. Thanks to Rachel Fulton for helping edit this episode. Follow her at Rachel M. Fulton. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag the guests at Homemade by Irene so she can share as well. My wish for you this week is that you're able to find gratitude for the time that you're in. Maybe you're waiting for an opportunity to arise, but you're having trouble being patient. My advice, based on very personal experience, would be to let go of the need to control the outcome, be grateful for the journey you're on, and as my friend Dolma says, romanticize the present moment. You can do this. You're creative. You can imagine any life you set your mind to. So just keep doing that, and I believe you'll get there because I believe in you and I love you and I'm so grateful for you. Talk with you next week.